section 39 of the genius by theodore dreiser this librivox recording is in the public domain book two chapter eleven part one it was in packing the trunks and leaving the studio in washington square owing to the continued absence of mr dexter they had never been compelled to vacate it that angela came across the first evidence of eugene's duplicity because of his peculiar indifference to everything except matters which related to his art he had put the letters which he had received in times past from christina channing as well as the one and only one from ruby kenny in a box which had formerly contained writing paper and which he threw carelessly in a corner of his trunk he had by this time forgotten all about them though his impression was that he had placed them somewhere where they would not be found when angela started to lay out the various things which occupied it she came across this box and opening it took out the letters curiosity as things relative to eugene was at this time the dominant characteristic of her life she could neither think nor reason outside of this relationship which bound her to him he and his affairs were truly the sum and substance of her existence she looked at the letters oddly and then opened one the first from christina it was dated florizel the summer of three years before when she was waiting so patiently for him at blackwood it began conservatively enough dear e but it concerned itself immediately with references to an apparently affectionate relationship i went this morning to see if by chance there were any tell-tale evidences of either diana or adonis at arcady there were none of importance a hairpin or two a broken mother-of-pearl button from a summer waist the stub of a lead pencil wherewith a certain genius sketched the trees seemed just as unconscious of any nymphs or hamadryads as they could be the smooth grass was quite unruffled of any feet it is strange how much the trees and forests know and keep their counsel and how is the hot city by now do you miss a certain evenly swung hammock or the odor of leaves and the dew don't work too hard you have an easy future and almost too much vitality more repose for you sir and considerably more optimism of thought i send you good wishes diana angela wondered at once who diana was for before she had begun the letter she had looked for a signature on the succeeding page then after reading this she hurried feverishly from letter to letter seeking a name there were none diana of the mountains the hamadryad the wood nymph c c c so they ran confusing badgering enraging her until all at once it came to light her first name at last it was on the letter from baltimore suggesting that he come to florizel christina ah she thought christina that is her name then she hurried back to read the remaining epistles hoping to find some clue to her surname they were all of the same character in the manner of writing she despised top lofty make-believe the nasty hypocritical can't and make-believe superiority of the studios how angela hated her from that moment how she could have taken her by the throat and beaten her head against the trees she described oh the horrid creature 
How dare she? And Eugene, how could he? What a way to reward her love. What an answer to make to all her devotion. At the very time when she was waiting so patiently, he was in the mountains with his Diana. And here she was packing his trunk for him like the little slave that she was, when he cared so little. He apparently cared so little all this time. How could he ever have cared for her and done anything like this? He didn't. He never had. Dear heaven. She began clenching and unclenching her hands dramatically, working herself into that frenzy of emotion and regret which was her most notable characteristic. All at once she stopped. There was another letter in another handwriting on cheaper paper. Ruby was the signature. Dear Eugene, she read, I got your note several weeks ago, but I couldn't bring myself to answer it before this. I know everything is over between us, and that is all right, I suppose. It has to be. You couldn't love any woman long, I think. I know what you say about having to go to New York. To broaden your field is true. You ought to, but I'm sorry you didn't come out. You might have. Still, I don't blame you, Eugene. It isn't much different from what has been going on for some time. I have cared, but I'll get over that, I know, and I won't ever think hard of you. Won't you return me the notes I have sent you from time to time, and my picture? You won't want them now, Ruby. I stood by the window last night and looked out on the street. The moon was shining, and those dead trees were waving in the wind. I saw the moon on that pool of water over in the field. It looked like silver. Oh, Eugene, I wish that I were dead. Angela got up, as Eugene had, when she read this. The pathos struck home, for somehow it matched her own. Ruby, who was she? Where had she been concealed while she, Angela, was coming to Chicago? Was this the fall and winter of their engagement? It certainly was. Look at the date. He had given her the diamond ring on her finger that fall. He had sworn eternal affection. He had sworn there was never another girl like her in all the world, and yet, at that very time, he was apparently paying court to this woman, if nothing worse. Heaven! Could anything like this really be? He was telling her that he loved her and making love to this ruby at the same time. He was kissing and fondling her, and Ruby, too. Was there ever such a situation? He, Eugene Whitla, to deceive her this way? No wonder he wanted to get rid of her when he came to New York. He would have treated her as he had this Ruby. And Christina, this Christina, where was she? Who was she? What was she doing now? She jumped up, prepared to go to Eugene and charge him with his iniquities but remembered that he was out of the studio, that he had gone for a walk. He was sick now, very sick. Would she dare to reproach him with these reprehensible episodes? She came back to the trunk where she was working and sat down. Her eyes were hard and cold for the time, but at the same time there was a touch of terror and of agonized affection. A face that, in ordinary lines of its repose, was very much like that of a madonna was now drawn and peaked and gray apparently christina had forsaken him or it might be that they still corresponded secretly she got up again at that thought still the letters were old it looked as though all communication had ceased two years ago 
what had he written to her love notes letters full of wooing phrases such as he had written to her oh the instability of men the insincerity the lack of responsibility and sense of duty her father what a different man he was her brothers their word was their bond and here she was married to a man who even in the days of his most ardent wooing had been deceiving her she had let him lead her astray too disgrace her own home tears came after a while hot scalding tears that seared her cheeks and now she was married to him and he was sick and she would have to make the best of it she wanted to make the best of it for after all she loved him but oh the cruelty the insincerity the unkindness the brutality of it all the fact that eugene was out for several hours following her discovery gave her ample time to reflect as to a suitable course of action being so impressed by the genius of the man as imposed upon her by the opinion of others and her own affection she could not readily think of anything save some method of ridding her soul of this misery and him of his evil tendencies of making him ashamed of his wretched career of making him see how badly he had treated her and how sorry he ought to be she wanted him to feel sorry very sorry so that he would be a long time repenting and suffering but she feared at the same time that she could not make him do that he was so ethereal so indifferent so lost in contemplation of life that he could not be made to think of her that was her one complaint he had other gods before her the god of his art the god of nature the god of people as a spectacle frequently she had complained to him in this last year you don't love me you don't love me but he would answer oh yes i do i can't be talking to you all the time angel face i have work to do my art has to be cultivated i can't be making love all the time oh it isn't that it isn't that she would exclaim passionately you just don't love me like you ought to you just don't care if you did i'd feel it oh angela he answered why do you talk so why do you carry on so you're the funniest girl i ever knew now be reasonable why don't you bring a little philosophy to bear we can't be billing and cooing all the time billing and cooing that's the way you think of it that's the way you talk of it as though it were something you had to do oh i hate love i hate life i hate philosophy i wish i could die now angela for heaven's sakes why will you take on so i can't stand this i can't stand these tantrums of yours they're not reasonable you know i love you why haven't i shown it why should i have married you if i didn't i wasn't obliged to marry you oh dear oh dear angela would sob on wringing her hands oh you really don't love me you don't care and it will go on this way getting worse and worse with less and less of love and feeling until after a while you won't even want to see me any more you'll hate me oh dear oh dear eugene felt keenly the pathos involved in this picture of decaying love in fact her fear of the disaster which might overtake her little bark of happiness was sufficiently well founded it might be that his affection would cease it wasn't even affection now in the true sense of the word a passionate intellectual desire for her companionship he never had really loved her for her mind the beauty of her thoughts 
As he meditated, he realized that he had never reached an understanding with her by an intellectual process at all. It was emotional, subconscious, a natural drawing together, which was not based on reason and spirituality of contemplation, apparently, but on grosser emotions and desires. Physical desire had been involved, strong, raging, uncontrollable. And for some reason, he had always felt sorry for her. He always had. She was so little, so conscious of disaster, so afraid of life and what it might do to her. It was a shame to wreck her hopes and desires. At the same time, he was sorry now for this bondage he had let himself into, this yoke which he had put about his neck. He could have done so much better. He might have married a woman of wealth or a woman with artistic perceptions and philosophic insight like Christina Channing, who would be peaceful and happy with him. Angela couldn't be. He really didn't admire her enough and couldn't fuss over her enough. Even while he was soothing her in these moments, trying to make her believe that there was no basis for her fears, sympathizing with her subconscious intuitions that all was not well, he was thinking of how different his life might have been. It won't end that way, he would soothe. Don't cry. Come now, don't cry. We're going to be very happy. I'm going to love you always, just as I'm loving you now. And you're going to love me. Won't that be all right? Come on now, cheer up. Don't be so pessimistic. Come on, Angela. Please do, please. Angela would brighten after a time, but there were spells of apprehension and gloom. They were common, apt to burst forth like a summer storm when neither of them was really expecting it. The discovery of these letters now checked the feeling with which she tried to delude herself at times, that there might be anything more than kindness here. They confirmed her suspicions that there was not and brought on that sense of defeat and despair which so often and so tragically overcame her. It did at a time, too, when Eugene needed her undivided consideration and feeling, for he was in a wretched state of mind. To have her quarrel with him now, lose her temper, fly into rages, and compel him to console her, was very trying. He was in no mood for it, could not very well endure it without injury to himself. He was seeking for an atmosphere of joyousness, wishing to find a cheerful optimism somewhere which would pull him out of himself and make him whole. Not infrequently, he dropped in to see Norma Whitmore, Isadora Crane, who was getting along very well on the stage, Hedda Anderson, who had a natural charm of intellect with much vivacity, even though she was a model, and now and then, Miriam Finch. The latter was glad to see him alone, almost as a testimony against Angela. Though she would not go out of her way to conceal from Angela the fact that he had been there. The others, though he said nothing, assumed that since Angela did not come with him, he wanted nothing said and observed his wish. They were inclined to think that he had made a matrimonial mistake and was possibly artistically or intellectually lonely. All of them noted his decline in health with considerate apprehension and sorrow. It was too bad, they thought, if his health was going to fail him just at this time. Eugene lived in fear lest Angela should become aware of any of these visits. He thought he could not tell her, because in the first place she would resent 
his not having taken her with him and in the next if he had proposed it first she would have objected or set another date or asked pointless questions he liked the liberty of going where he pleased saying nothing not feeling it necessary to say anything he longed for the freedom of his old pre-matrimonial days just at this time because he could not work artistically and because he was in need of diversion and of joyous artistic palaver he was especially miserable life seemed very dark and ugly end of section thirty nine